Uh, if you got your Bible, I'm, I'm, well, let me start here. I'm, I'm glad to be here today, man. I, I love just coming here in this place and, and uh, seeing what God's doing um, in the life of, of this church. See, my heart is for the rural small town church. That, that's what God has burdened me with. That there, I drove down here this morning, and you, you, can't, throw, you can't throw a rock without hitting a, a, a little white church, a little congregation somewhere who have been faithful, who love Jesus. And I believe with all my heart, God wants to restore and renew and bring fresh life to his church. And that the vast majority of churches in this country are those little rural, small-town churches sitting out here in the middle of a cornfield, seeking to love and to live and to be all God wants us to be. Well, I'm excited about what, what's going on here, and Eric's been telling me about how you've been looking, uh, talking about relationships and how he wants, um, how you're seeking to say, God, we want to change our relationships. We want to have healthy, God-honoring relationships. So um, we're going to get to that today, but um, you're going to discover, as Eric, or, uh, that I'm a teacher of the Word, that God has anointed me to teach, and, and, and that my call is to make sure we've got the right foundation in order to be able to do what God wants to do. Now, I love to tell this story because I'm an old country boy, and so when back in the day when you needed a chicken house, man, you, here's how you build a chicken house. You went to the woods, and you cut you a couple trees with about some poles about this big, and you brought those to the house, and you laid them out, and you got four stones, and you laid out the corners that had a flat place on them, and you took those logs, and you laid them there, and you began to build the floor of the chicken house on those logs, and then you built the chicken house you know, to, to keep the chickens. It's not like that today where you got these fancy chicken condominium things in your backyard. Come on now. Hey, anybody got one? I don't want to offend you. Come on. Come on. It's all right. You know, but back in the day, that's how it worked. And you know what? Those chicken houses stood for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And in fact, they were so sturdy that I can remember when I was a kid that the, 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 the old lady that lived down the road, she was in her 80s. She had an old chicken house out back, and we, we would take anything when I was growing up. And so dad said, we're going to go get that chicken house. And so we went to the woods, and we cut a couple poles, and we went down there, and we jacked that thing up, and we set it back down on those poles and secured it, took the tractor and pulled that thing down the road a mile down to our house, and that chicken house stood for another 30 years. See, we look at that foundation and said, man, that was a good foundation, but here's what my grandpa used to say. You can't build a skyscraper on the foundation of a chicken coop. See, and I want to suggest that what God wants to build, what God wants to do in our lives, in our relationships, in our family, in our churches, in this church, is he wants to build something powerful, incredible. But God says, hey, first and foremost, you need to make sure you've got the right foundation to be able to carry what it is I want to build. See, we might have a foundation to build what we want to build, but God says, I got something far greater and far loftier than you can even imagine I want to build. And so what I want to do is I want to lay a foundation. And so the call on my heart is, and life is to say, make sure that the foundation is laid so that God, through his people, can build what he wants to build. Amen? Amen. All right, so if you got your Bibles this morning, we're going to start in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now, it's a verse I, I guarantee almost all of us know. But the reality is we have to make sure we understand what we're talking about. Because remember the context, and if you listen to me long enough, you'll hear me say this all the time, the context is king. I have to look at the context of the verse I want to talk about because if I don't know the context, I don't know the truth that it wants to convey. And so the context of Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is that Paul in Romans 7 has what? That Paul has been talking about his life prior to knowing Jesus. As a Pharisee, as a lover of the law, as one who committed his life to do everything that God wanted, Paul's writing about that time in his life before he knew Jesus and said, man, I, I knew the law. I was an expert. I, I knew everything I was supposed to do. I knew what I should do, but no matter how hard I tried or no matter what I did or how hard I fought, I, I never seemed to do what I wanted to do. I always ended up doing the thing I didn't want to do. And you remember the exhortation Paul gives is this. He says, hey, who's going to rescue me from this body of death, this life that I'm living? Thanks be to God, Jesus set me free. Amen. 
You guys have been singing about that all morning. Jesus set me free. Jesus got me up out of the grave. Jesus has put me my feet upon the rock. Amen? And then we come to Romans chapter 8, and Paul says, therefore, in light of the fact Jesus has set me free, notice what he says, there is now. Now. Say now. Now, right now, there is no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, come on. Now, how many of you actually believe that? Oh, I see a few hands, but I'm not talking about just believing it up here. I'm not even talking about having made the 18-inch journey from here to here. I'm not talking, I'm talking about that I'm walking in my life, I'm living my life, believing, knowing absolutely, completely in Christ Jesus, there is absolutely no zero zilch zip condemnation over my life. We have to look at that. There's none. Because you see, condemnation is something that many believers still live under. That word condemn means this, to declare to be reprehensible, wrong, evil, after weighing the evidence without reservation. Or to pronounce as evil or declare as guilty. To identify as unfit, for use or consumption. And you don't have to go to many small towns and you, you go through town and you find houses that have been what? Condemned. Why? Because they, they are no longer viable. The roof is leaked and the water damage has come and the insects and the rot and it's no longer safe. They are unfit for occupation. And we say, we declare that they are condemned. See, you have to understand we have an enemy who constantly is trying to convince us, declare to us that you and I live under a God who wants to bring condemnation. The enemy who wants to steal life away from us. This young lady who shared this morning. The enemy trying to speak into her her unworthiness for the glory that God had for her, for the love that he had for her. Listen, that goes on all the time. It's going on in our lives, in my life. The reality, the enemy wants to bring condemnation. And in that condemnation comes this concept of judgment, that we are under judgment. You say, well, Brian, what's that got to do with conflict? What's it got to do with reconciling relationships? See, I want you to understand that if we don't have a foundation of understanding how Jesus deals with us, we will never have a clear picture of how we are to deal with one another. And the reality is there is a lot of confusion in the church over judgment. In the, in the New Testament, judgment is actually a very complex word, concept, and there's actually two key Greek words that are used for judgment. And, and the first one I want to look at right now is this. It's, it comes out as the definition of this that means to condemn or someone or something. You know, just like the house, it's we, so coming out and judging someone and declaring condemnation, declaring that they're not fit, declaring these things, declaring judgment, declaring punishment upon someone. Now, how is it that we do that? How is it that condemnation or judgment takes place? Well, we take whatever it is and we compare it to the standard, right? And then someone, who, who's the, who does this? The judge... What? Makes a declaration based on what we have been comparing it to, and we bring forth a judgment. They compare it to the law. They look at it. You know, so let's, let's suppose for a minute that, that Steve, Steve is driving, I know none of you would ever do this, but Steve's driving without insurance. And Steve gets in an accident. And so he drive, pulls out in front of another car. Um, it's a pretty bad accident. Both cars are heavily damaged, but everybody's okay. But then they come, the police come, and they arrest Steve. 
Now, when Steve stands before the judge, the judge looks at what happened in this situation, and he makes a determination that based on the law, number one, Steve's going to have to pay for all the damage. And number two, Steve's going to lose his license for a period of time. And so now Steve's not only broke because he's got to pay all those bills. Steve can't drive to his job. Steve can't drive to the park. Steve can't go fishing. Steve can't do a lot of stuff. Why? Because of the punishment, because of the judgment that has come against him. Now, we look at that in the natural and we're like, yeah. That's exactly what should have happened. Steve should have lost his life, and Steve should have to pay because justice says that Steve needs to take care of those things. But see, you and I aren't talking this morning about the natural. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And what happens to you and I in our lives as we think about the kingdom of God? And this question comes to bear. Is Jesus sitting as judge over our lives? Well, we go to John chapter 3. Come on now. You know, you know you're going to preach. you got to know John chapter 3, verse 16, right? Yeah. Amen. For so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Man, I tell you what, top five people can quote. Amen. We love verse 16. We love the message of verse 16. But I want to suggest this morning verse 17 is where the power is. Oh, come on now. We skip verse 17 most of the time because we just want to camp on 16. But notice what it says. For God did not, say did not, send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Now, in the Greek, we can look at that term world, and there's three possibilities. He could be talking about the planet. God so loved the physical planet, or God so loved the world systems, Or, number three, God so loved those whom he placed here created in his image. So it's the third one he's talking about here. He says, God so loved those who he created in his image that, watch this now, that Jesus did not come to condemn them. Jesus did not come to punish them. Jesus did not come to bring judgment uh, upon their lives. Now, I got a question for you. Just make sure we're all on the same page. You ready? How many people on this planet were created in the image of God? (laughs) All of them. Oh, so Jesus came, what? Not to bring judgment against good folk, right? Folk in this room, right? That Jesus didn't come. He's talking about believers and church people and young people and babies. That Jesus did not come to judge them. Amen? Now, you ought to try a little harder than that. Right, because he's talking about, we're talking about you, amen? Well, wait a minute, maybe the good people category wasn't your category. Maybe you're in this next category. Maybe you're in the category of the not-so-good people, right? You know, you know, the scoundrels and the thieves and the criminals and the thugs, oh, the unbelievers, my neighbor whose dog poops in my yard. Come on. <laughs> Talking about him. So here's the question, is Jesus judging them? The answer is no. He's not judging them either. See, the reality is that all of us, every single human being on the planet, created his evening. Jesus is not judging them. Jesus isn't condemning them. Jesus isn't punishing them. He came to save, to restore, to bring them into the fullness for who God created them to be. With what? With his love and his grace and his mercy. Amen? Jesus is not judging people. Now, you say, well, Brian, that, that's great. You got, one, you got one verse for that. Well, I got another. How about John 12? John 12, 47 says this. Jesus says, if anyone, anyone, say anyone. So are you anyone's in the room? Come on, all of us are anyone's, amen. If anyone hears his sayings and does not keep them. Whoops. Wait a minute. Jesus says, if anyone hears my word, if anyone comes to church on Sunday and gets a word, if anyone knows what I say, or let me put it another way, if I know the right thing to do, I know what I should do, that's what he's talking about, right? He says, so you know what to do, you know what my word says, you know what I've declared, amen. What's what it says? For if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge them. 
got quiet in here. <laughs> got real quiet. Wait a minute, I know what's right and I do wrong, and yet the word says Jesus does not judge me. Jesus doesn't condemn me. I want to tell you, most Christians don't understand that. Well, I messed up and God, God's upset with me. God, Jesus is one to whack me. That's not what the word says. For he says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now you're like, now come on, Brian. Some, we got to pay for that someday. All right, for those of you who cannot handle that side of, of the picture without the other picture to balance it, right? Jesus is good. Verse 48 says, watch. It says, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, he who has judges me, the word I spoke will judge him at, when, 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 when when's that going to happen? What's it say? At the last day. I, I got good news for you. That, that's not today. See, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, I have come that I would not judge anyone on the planet, bring condemnation on anyone on the planet. When? From the time he ascended into heaven until the time he returns in the clouds with glory. Between then and then, say we're, we're in between there. That's now. There is no condemnation at all. Jesus isn't judging. See, here's the problem we have with that. Some of you in this room, myself included, we grow up in an environment where people have what I like to call James and John theology. You, you remember the story of James and John? They're the two of Jesus' disciples, the sons of thunder. You know, they're with Jesus and they're going through Samaria. They're, they're heading to Galilee and they're going through Samaria. That's the quickest way. And the people were giving Jesus a real hard time. And so James and John come to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, I, we know what we'll do. We will call down fire on them. Now, I, I want to give them a little credit right now first, this is a side note, for their faith. They believed they could call down fire. How many of you in this room are like, I could call down fire from heaven? You got faith for that? These guys had faith. They said, Jesus, you just give us the word. We're calling down fire. But what does Jesus say? Luke 9, verse 55, he says, But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know the kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. See, we got a lot of folk in the church who still have remnants of the James and John theology running through their spirit and their blood. And when stuff comes around, it's like, well, we need to call down some stuff on that. We need to see some, some stuff happen in retribution for that and Jesus said get back back up that's not me that's not my spirit that's not why I came that's not what I'm doing see I want you to think about that for a minute I want you to think about that person at work who's like that serious thorn in your side every day you go there they're saying something or doing something and it's like Argh! let me ask you is Jesus judging them Nope. What about your neighbor whose dog's pooping in the yard and they never clean it up? Is Jesus judging them? No. What about those family members that have hurt you? Said some stuff behind your back. Is Jesus judging them? What about the people groups who don't agree with the gospel? who seek with all, their, all they are to stand against the things of God. Is Jesus judging them? Nope. Jesus is not judging, bringing condemnation on anyone. Not a single, solitary person. Well, you say, well, I, okay, Brian, I'll, I'll buy that. But if Jesus isn't, then the Father is. Right? You know, Jesus is a picture of salvation, but here's the Father, you know, Old Testament God. He, you know, he's very good at calling down some fire on folk and, and bringing bad stuff, right? But I want you to notice what it says in John 5. I love the Gospel of John, man. It makes it so clear. Verse 22, it says, for not even the Father judges anyone. Uh-oh. Woo. 
But he has given all judgment to the Son so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now watch this. In this age, in the age of mercy and grace and love, guess what? The Father has taken all judgment, put it on the Son. So the Father's not judging anybody. The Son's not judging anybody. There is no one bringing condemnation. In fact, God's doing just the opposite. Look what it says in Matthew 5. Jesus in verse 43, and the Sermon on the Mount says this, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of the, of the Father who is in heaven. Watch this now. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now the context is king, right? What's the context here? Love God, love your neighbor, love your enemy. Love. Say love. 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 So here's the deal. God the Father lovingly brings rain on the good and the evil. God brings life-giving rain to those who love him and those who do not. God causes the sun, the life-giving sun, to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, we look at that text, that seems pretty clear. But listen, if we've got some of that old James and John theology in there, I've heard people read it this way. You ready? God causes the hot, torturing sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. That God brings the storms and the, and the tornadoes on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's not what the text says. The text says it's God's love. He's loving the righteous and the unrighteous. He's not bringing judgment. So if Jesus isn't judging anybody and the Father isn't judging anybody, what do you think maybe we ought to do? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Why isn't Jesus judging anybody? Because justice has already been paid. You know that because of death, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is free not to bring condemnation. The Father is free not to bring condemnation. You know, think about the woman caught in adultery. The gentleman who spoke last week was talking about her. You know, here they were, right? They caught her in the act. Here she was. She was an adulteress. And so the Pharisees have caught her, and now they're dragging her out, and they're getting prepared to, what, bring condemnation upon her. You know, they've already, what, compared it to the standard and said, condemnation is what you get. But then they see Jesus, and so then they think they're going to get a twofer. One rock, two birds, pun intended, right? Come on. They bring her to Jesus, and they throw her on the ground in front of him and say, hey, Jesus, guess what? This lady was committing adultery. What are you going to do about Jesus? You remember the story, right? Jesus bows, gets down on the ground and writes a few things in the dirt and says to him, hey, ye who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he writes some more in the dirt. And pretty soon he looks up, and everybody's dropped their rocks and gone home. And so what's Jesus do? He stands up. And he looks at this woman laying there on the ground. He says, where are your accusers? Do they not condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. She was caught dead guilty. Jesus said, I'm not condemning her. I do not condemn you. The first definition of judgment is that of bringing condemnation declaring it upon us. But here's the second definition of judgment. It means the process of evaluating, discerning, or comparing against the standard. Now, you know, we were talking about chickens. We raised chickens at my house, so I don't go to the grocery to buy eggs, but some of you do, right? So have you ever been, you go to the grocery, and here's what happens, right? You go to the cooler, and you stand there, and you're, <laughs> hey, guys, they sit, your wife says, go get some eggs, Right, stop by on the way home from work, get some eggs. So we go and we stand in front of the counter and we look at the eggs. The only problem is what? There's just not eggs. There's lots of choices of eggs. We've got smalls and mediums and large and extra large and, and jumbos. I like jumbos. Yeah, so we got all these. How, how in the world did they decide what those were? 
they took the egg and they compared it to the standard and they judged the egg based on its size. They made a, 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 a determination based on the standard which they compared it to. Or I got here early today and I went down to Memorial Park and you know, got my chair out in the shade and was just you know, praying and getting ready for this morning. And I didn't know they was having the 4-H fair this week. And so trailers are coming in. I can hear the announcer over there and they're talking about stuff. You know what? Sometime this week they're going to run a bunch of pigs into the ring, right? They're all going to look good. And you want to know they're all going to make great bacon. They really are. But you know what that, that guy who's, or woman who walks around the ring, what they're going to do, they're going to judge the pigs, right? They're going to take the standard of what a, the best-looking pig is, this is what we, the ideal pig, and they're going to look at each of those pigs, and they're going to take them and assess it and determine which one is closest. They're going to judge the pigs. Now, none of you get upset about that. You don't get upset about that. Why? Because that's, we're not talking about condemnation there. We're talking about assessing towards a standard to what? To see how they line up. And so when we talk about judgment in that light, we say, well, what's Jesus doing about that? Well, we've got to understand that when Jesus comes to us, you and I, he never condemns us. But listen, he will assess our actions and our attitudes and our stuff to the standard for which he is created. And then he will want to talk to us about the alignment of those things with his standard and those things that need to happen there, not condemning me because of what I did. I want you to understand. You say, well, how does Jesus do that? Well, here's the core truth. If you don't remember anything today except this, remember this, that Jesus separates people from their actions. The core truth we have to get in our hearts and our spirit is Jesus separates people from their actions. And I want to suggest if we don't learn that, we'll never truly have healthy relationships. We'll never truly have the victory we're looking to receive. Go back to the woman caught in adultery. What did Jesus do? He took that woman and her act of adultery and he separated her from her actions. Watch this now. What did he do? He placed her over here. He took her action and he placed it over here. And then what did he do? He loved her. He looked at her through the lens of who he had created her to be, who God had created her to be, what God desired from her life. And he loved her and he poured onto her and he blessed her and he cared about her apart from that which she had done. And what's he say? I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. But Jesus wasn't done, was he? Before she leaves, he gets out the gospel sticks and starts whacking her with it. Oh, well, no, that's a different story. No, that wasn't it. What happened? He went over here and he says to her, all right, this act of adultery we know where it fits on the standard of my word. And he says to her, arise, go, and sin no more. See, he loved her. He didn't condemn her. And yet he was not afraid to speak to the action that had taken place that was not in alignment with the standard that he had set. And he dealt with that apart from who she was. Aren't you glad Jesus treats you like that? Woo, come on now. You done mess up. Jesus doesn't come along and look at you and say, oh, look at you, kick you, and you know, look how awful you are. No, no, no. He separates our action, our sin, our junk from us. He loves on us. He blesses us. He cares for us. And then he says, Brian, there's this thing over here. And I'd like for you and I to take this and look at the standard. 
And Brian, how can we go about dealing with this now? See, two completely different things. What a powerful picture. See, there's a big difference between judging the person and judging the action. The woman at the well, another one of my favorite stories. This woman comes out. You know, and you guys all know the story, right? She comes out because it's the middle of the day. No one else is there. Everybody else won't have anything to do with her. She's a Samaritan woman living in Samaria, but yet because of her lifestyle and her choices and things that have happened in her life, you know, she's an outcast. So she comes wandering out the well at midday when no one comes in the heat of the day to get water, and she's out there and she meets this dude named, named Jesus. And what's Jesus do? He separates her actions, leaves them there, and he places her over here, and he begins to talk with her, and he begins to share with her, and ultimately, he reveals to her the very first person he ever tells that he is Messiah. Well, wait a minute, this woman who's got all this junk, wait a minute, Jesus took that and put it over there, and in the process said, I'm going to speak life and hope and truth into you because I see you for who God created you to be, not as you are. And he took it over here. But then what, in the course of the conversation, what's the lady say? You remember? I, I'm going to go back into town and get my husband. And Jesus is like, yeah, you've had five and you're shacked up with the one you're with now. What's he do? He didn't beat her up with it. He simply does what? I know your actions. You know the standard as well as I do. They don't line up. And then what happens? She goes back into town, and she begins to tell everybody about this incredible man she has met. I want you to think about that. If Jesus had come out and led with, you, Lucy, That's the nicest word I can think of in that category. <laughs> you floozy. Would anything have ever been reconciled or happened? No, it was over at that point, right? Jesus separates people from their actions. He has to. But here's the problem you and I run into. You and I live in a world where we are identified by our actions. Come on. If I drink, I'm a drinker. If I smoke, I'm a smoker. Right? If I lie, I'm a, I'm a liar. Right? If I'm a cheater, once a cheater, see, you guys are real quick on that, right? Because we live in a culture that says once a cheater, bam, you're always a cheater. We have taken our actions and identified who we are based on what we do. If I have an addiction, it's one of the things that I struggle with with so much recovery is this. You know, I could not have had a drink for 20 years, but then I have to go to the meeting and stand up and say, hi, my name is Brian. I'm an alcoholic. I'm identified by what I've done. I'm a drug addict. I'm a, I'm a Netflix you know, binge watcher. Whatever your thing is, we identify ourselves by those things. And listen, because of that, we have a terrible time with dealing with conflict and resolving things because we cannot see one another except for our junk. And we have to learn how to deal with our junk. You say, well, Brian, how, how's that work? How's that work? Well, go to Luke 6, if you're there in your notes. Luke 6, verse 27 says this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now, that's quite a list. <laughs> Amen? See, enemies, uh, you know, those who hate, mistreat. Okay, verse 29. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other one also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them either. Give to everyone who asks you. And whoever takes away from yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want yourself to be treated. Golden rule. Say, hey, go, there's the golden rule, all right? Right there in the verse. So here's step one. If that scripture is going to be in practice, step one is I have to separate people from their actions. I have to separate my enemy from their actions. I have to separate the hater 
from their actions. I have to separate those who mistreat me by from their actions. Why? Here's why. Because I cannot see them for who God has created to be as long as I leave that action on them. So here's the beautiful thing. When I take their action and I put it over here, I am now free to look at them and see them how God sees No matter what they did, I now can view them the way God views me, that I see them through the lens of who God created them to be and the love and the incredible things that he desires for their life, who he's created them to be. Now, they may be doing these things, but that's not who they are. And it says, first and foremost, we have to focus on who God says they are, who they are, and treat them that way. Then we're free to take care of the action, to treat them with love and kindness. Verse 37. Now, verse number two that everybody can quote. Do not judge or you will be judged. Right? Do not pardon or do not condemn or you will not be condemned or you will be condemned. Pardon and you will be <clears throat> pardoned. What's he saying? He said, here's what I want you to do. We look at that. Most Christians say, see, we're not supposed to judge. And the big problem we have is this. Because we say we're not supposed to judge and we lump it all together, we never deal with actions. We're afraid to deal with actions. Why? Because we're afraid that because we've taken actions in our identity and put them together, that when we say, hey, this action thing... When we talk about the action, we're really talking about them, and they get all offended, and they get hurt, and you're, you're taking personal shots at me. See, we'll never get anywhere until we take the action and put it over here, and we can truly love them. Notice why. I'm about to wreck some stuff for some of you. You ready? Verse 38 in Luke 6, give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 99% of the time you've heard that verse quoted, it was in the context of you need to give to God. That is not the context of that verse. That's nowhere in the ballpark of the context of that verse. That verse is in the context of love your enemy. Love the one who hurts you. Love those who are dumping on you. Love those who have made your life miserable. That's the context. And so then Jesus says, in the context of those are the people we're dealing with, here's what I want you to do. Separate them from their action, and here's what I want you. I want you to pour love and grace and mercy and, and blessing upon them. I want you to give liberally out of the heart I've given you onto them. How many of you are like, that's hard? Come on now, but watch, it is hard, but that's how we have to operate, and I want you to notice what happens. Look what it says, when we do that, if we measure out grace, if we measure out mercy and kindness, instead of judges and condemnation, what's going to happen? It says they, they will pour into your lap good measure. They will press down, they will shake it together until it's running over. They will bless you. Here's the big question. Who's the they? Now, let me give you a hint. It's not God. It's the enemy. When I separate people from their actions, and I'm over here, and I'm pouring onto them the love of Christ, the love of God, and the mercy and the grace that only God can give through me, it says, what are their response going to be? They're going to pour back on you a gray measure, shaken down, pressed down, shaken until it overflows. How many of you would like to be in a conflict revolution where that started happening? That's the word of God. And if we don't get that, the lot, you guys are talking about a lot of great stuff, but there has to be a foundation upon which to build those things. And the foundation is we have to separate people from their actions. Because notice what it says then. It goes on, finishes, verse 39. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. The grace and mercy, the love we pour on people, because we have separated them from their actions, that's how it will be measured back to us. Not by God, by others. Oh, come on now. By others. 
they're going to treat you the same way. I don't know how many, you know, 18 years, 36 years married. You know what? My wife and I mess up on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> Amen? And until I really begin to understand this foundational truth, I'll be honest, I had a terrible time. I have a terrible time with my kids before I understood that truth. Parenting 101, right? They mess up and, and, and the words out of parents' mouths, even Christian mouths, are, you're bad, you're terrible, you're a bad boy. You know what, we've all, I, I, we've all done it, okay? There's grace, amen? But here's the deal, what have we just done? Identified them based on what they did, not on who God created them to be. See, what you and I really want in our relationships with our kids, let's just pick that because it's easy, er, we look at them and say, you know what, that's not really who God created them to be. They're learning and they're growing. And the reality is I have to take their action and put it over here. And I have to look at them based on the eyes of who God says they are and who he's created them to be and the desires he has for them. And to speak into that, to, to pour into that. Never forgetting. See, here's the problem. If we separate people from their actions, people get worried we're going to forget about the, you know, well, you're not doing anything about the action. We're not forgetting the action. With your kids, what happened? You know what? We love you. We care about you. But now... Billy, here was this action you lied to dad. And according to God's standard and our family standard, that's not in alignment of how we operate. And so, son, I want us to work together on how we can bring you into alignment with what God desires in this particular area. Amen? Now, as a parent, I have authority. That's a little different. <laughs> in our marriage relationships, it's not, it may not be quite that same language, but the, the core foundational principles are exactly the same. We have to separate people from their actions. And then we have to assess the standard. Matthew 7, 1. That's step two. Do not judge. You know, Jesus is talking again. So that you will not be judged. In the same way you are judged, you will be judged. And by your standard measure, be measured to you. Okay, Luke 6, Matthew 7, based same context. Verse 3 says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let's take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We all know that the word says we all start with us first, right? But I want you to notice in that text, it's teaching us how to deal with the action. It's not teaching us to ignore it. It's teaching us to say, here's the deal. After you've removed the action and you've loved on the person, if you've given grace and mercy, then there comes this time when we're going to come over here and we're going to address this. But... Maybe we ought to do some self-evaluation from a couple weeks ago and look at the own thing in my eye, right, to make sure that I'm in alignment as I seek to help someone else in alignment. See, one of the big problems we have is the reality is I, I need to get the speck out, but we haven't dealt with the plank, right? We haven't let God deal with our stuff so that we're able to deal with actions and other people's stuff. And see, that's one of the big barriers we have in a relationship resolution, conflict resolution, is the fact that I, I might even separate this. I might have got that part, but I have to let God do that process in me first. See, we're trying to go around and, and point out things in our society, in our culture. You know, I, I had a lady in prayer meeting just on Thursday night, and, and we're talking about the fact that we have good news. And that we need to share good news. And that Jesus came to say, I, I proclaim, you know, good news to the poor. And she starts in with a story about the dude she saw at the grocery store just a couple days before who was over there cussing and carrying on in the, in the lane next to her. And she was angry. 
about that. She was all angry about that. She said, we need to do something about him. We need to take care of that. We need to make sure he understands how wrong he is. I said, well, the first thing he needs is a little good news. You know what the good news is? I'm going to take that ugliness that's on you and put it over here. Let me give you some good news. Jesus loves you. He wants the absolute best for you. He has great plans for you. You unbeliever who don't even know him yet. All that's true about you. You were created in his image. You were created to be a son or daughter. You're not living as a son or daughter, but you were created to be. See, that's the picture that we have to allow him to take care of. And we have to know that that applies. I take these principles, you know, in one of the, the ministry, the equipping and training ministry that I have, um, we got a whole six-week series on this. Because I want you to understand, these core truths just don't apply in marriage among Christians or in the, low, in the family or in the, the church. These same principles apply in all of society. They apply in the workplace. They apply um, with unbelievers. There's some nuances of how we handle that. But it always comes back to this one foundational thing. Because we know Jesus, we have the ability to separate the person from their actions. And that's where we have to start. Everything else will fall into those two categories. I'll be honest. I'm not an expert over here on dealing with action. Let's be out right up front. I'm learning and getting better over there. But not here yet, because there's other people God who's helped know how to handle this way better than I do. But here's what I know. God said we got to have the foundation to stand upon, to operate in what he wants us to do. And see, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be my spouse. It could be my friend. It could be my kids. It could be my coworker. Be the lady at the end of the row of my, of my row here in church. The church of Jesus Christ is so divided because we don't understand this. Amen? God has given me an incredible opportunity to hang out with people who don't all think like me, other believers, other teachers of the word. But you know what? Step one. We'll take your theology and put it over there. <laughs> and I'm going to love you, right? And you know what? It's not like we, don't disagree, we disagree on everything. But the reality is once we've loved up on each other and, and saw each other for who God's created to be, we can have this discussion. Amen? We, we can talk. And we may not even come to an agreement over here. That's okay. But we separated the two so at least we can talk about this. But it starts there. I want to challenge you this morning. I want you to just close your eyes as we prepare to close. I want you to think of one person right now that you have an issue with, a conflict with, something going on right now. It could be a little thing, it could be a big thing, just, just one. And in this moment, I want you just to begin to visualize by the power of the Spirit, you beginning to take that thing, that action, that thing that is hurt, that thing that is stung, and you begin to separate that from that person. And I want you to put that person on your left and their action on the right. And this morning, I just want to challenge you to begin to think in the spirit about what you would say to them, having removed their action, to declare over them what God says about them. His desire today, that as you seek him, as you desire to walk in alignment with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit, that he will enable you to begin that process. No one's promising it'll be easy. 
No one's promising that it, it will go perfect. But it starts with beginning in your heart long before you go to begin to see them and to fill your heart with what God says about them. Can you hear those phrases? Can you hear those things in your, in your spirit, in your heart? I just want you to take those as you leave today, and I want you to pray into those. Say, oh, Lord, would you enable me to take those things that you've put in my mind about that person right now? And, Lord, so ingrain them in me that no matter what happens when I, sp- when I open my mouth with them, that's what's going to come out. That's what's going to flow out. You say, well, what about the action? You know, we'll get there. You're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. But start by seeing them, but declaring over them, speaking into them who God says they are, who he's created them to be. Let that be your first step. Father, we thank you that you have called us to be like Jesus, that the very goal of our life is to be more and more like you, Jesus. And even in this issue of dealing with one another, Lord, we have to be just like you, formed in your image, in your likeness. And so, Lord, this morning, transform us more and more into the image of Jesus in our relationships. The Lord, we will see, speak, understand, declare who you've created people to be first and foremost. Separate them, love on them, care about them. And then Holy Spirit allow you to assess the action and to lead in dealing with those things. Lord, that true unity and relationship can be restored. God, you restored the greatest relationship of all between us and you. You paid the price. And so, Lord, I just ask this morning, enable us by your spirit, by your power, to be those who step in and begin to bring resolution to that which is broken in our relationships, in our families, in our communities. And we'll give you glory and praise. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do today and the days to come. Thank you for this body of believers who is so in love with you. Lord, go with us, and may you receive glory in all we do. And God's people said, amen.